Good morning, good morning. Um, I feel like it's been a few weeks since I've been standing in this particular spot. Uh, really appreciate Paul, uh, Paul's messages the last couple of weeks and giving me a, a couple of weeks off. Um, one of those I definitely needed that week off when I was laying in bed sick, um, but really appreciate Paul filling in. Um, we are headed into a new series. Obviously, we finished uh, Ruth at the end of December. Uh, we did the, the vision stuff right at the beginning of January, um, and so we're headed into something new. Um, we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, and if you know anything about Ecclesiastes, you're probably right about now going, oh man, really? <laughs> Ecclesiastes? Um, because it is not uh, an, an easy book. Um, it is a book of wisdom. Uh, it's considered one of the three wisdom uh, books, that, that genre in, in Scripture. It goes with Job and with Proverbs. Um, and it does have a lot of wisdom. Uh, it, it's, it's a very, very wise book. Um, it is full of a lot of very, very practical knowledge, which is what wisdom is. Wisdom is, is those, who, um, those who are wise are those who do well at the skill of living. It's, um, it's, 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 it's not just knowledge, it's practical knowledge. It's knowledge that, that actually will affect the way you act, the way you speak, um, and, and to how, how to navigate those moments well, how to, um, to uh, mitigate potential problems in life um, and avoid certain pitfalls in life, um, and it, how to deal with uh, difficult situations and difficult people, uh, it's, it's a little bit like, although not quite like this, um, a little bit like the difference between EQ and IQ. You're familiar with EQ? It's, it's, it's sort of a newer concept. I think it, it started in the early 90s. Someone came up with this idea. You know, IQ is, is the ability to solve difficult uh, problems that involve reason and logic, right? So these are the people in our, our uh, nation that are uh, mathematicians and engineers, and um, they all have high IQs, right? They can figure things out. They can, they can see a, a, a logical, reasoning-type problem and be able to, to, to figure that out. But a lot of times, people who have a high IQ um, aren't always the best at navigating life, right? Navigating relationships. And that's where this kind of idea of EQ came in, uh, which is those who uh, can can navigate relationships maybe a little better, can, can empathize with people and understand where they're coming from, um, can motivate themselves uh, in different situations when, they, uh, when they're facing difficult circumstances to be able to persist in that difficult circumstance. Um, so IQ is like knowing and understanding facts, the retention of facts and processing facts, and EQ is kind of uh, knowing how facts work in life right? How those facts can actually affect relationships. Um, and I would say biblical knowledge is closer to IQ and biblical wisdom is closer to EQ. Now, there, there's a big difference because these, this IQ and EQ thing is usually something that's like a fixed um, number, right? You take an IQ test and you get your IQ number back, and that tells you kind of how much, how much of the IQ you have. And you're not really expected to, like, if you study enough that I, your IQ will go up um, or your IQ will go down. It's kind of a fixed thing. 
That's not true with biblical knowledge and biblical wisdom. In fact, both of those things we're called to grow in, get more of, right? Understand uh, the knowledge that the Bible gives us and the wisdom that the Bible gives us in increasing degrees in our life. And so, I don't know if you've had this question. I've definitely had this question in my life where I'm like, I want to be someone who lives wise, wisely. I want to be someone who knows how to navigate life well. And so how do I do that? Uh, well, the first thing I knew this, I knew this in high school is you got to ask for it. So I did that in high school a lot. I was like, God, I want to be wise. God, I want to be wise. That was, uh, that was a very, very common conversation God and I had. Um, uh, help me to be wise. Help me to, to be someone who knows how to navigate life well based on your wisdom, not man's wisdom, not earthly wisdom, not wisdom that I would come up with myself. Um, and, and so if you're someone like me who wants to understand wisdom and know wisdom, I think Ecclesiastes is definitely one of those places to go. Now, it's probably not the most popular place to go in Scripture. Probably the most popular place to go for wisdom is Proverbs, right? Because you've got these nice little compact, pithy sayings that are like, oh, that's good, I like that. Um, where Ecclesiastes has a lot of pithy sayings, but they're all kind of in the negative. <laughs> they're all kind of in the, in the realm of uh, what doesn't work in life. Um, but I would say this. Part of the reason why I love Ecclesiastes, and, I, and I, I'm glad for us to be in Ecclesiastes, is that a lot of times we don't, when we come to the biggest questions in life, like, uh, like what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? How, how, do I, how do I find fulfillment in my life? A lot of times people will shy away from those questions. Because if, if you really take a good look at those things, it's probably going to start making you a little uncomfortable because they, these, these bigger questions speak to kind of the, the, the fabric of reality, which philosophers have been struggling with for centuries, trying to, trying to answer the, que- the big questions like these about the, reali- the reality of this world that we live in. Uh, it, it, it speaks to the, the nature of, um, of morality, like what's my responsibility toward other people in this life? Uh, what's my responsibility to, toward a creator? Um, and man-made religions from the beginning of time have, have, have tried to answer those questions, and they've created rituals and, and, and dogmas that, that try to create, create answers to these questions um, and, and help us to embrace the possible answers to those questions. But most people get to a point where either they blindly accept uh, you know, a particular set of dogmas, or they just push those questions away. They ignore those questions and go, I would rather just focus on my day-to-day living than these broader questions of life, because they're too uncomfortable to, to, to deal with. They're too overwhelming to address. And so most people just fill their days with diversions and distractions and things that... that, that take us away from being haunted by these questions of meaning and purpose. And then something like a life-threatening illness hits, and we're kind of immediately forced to consider those things again. Or some sort of national tragedy hits, and we, we're suddenly uh, wrestling with our mortality and our purpose. And um, 
We let that happen for a little while. I remember 9-11, a lot of you probably remember 9-11, you know, it was like for a week or two, like the whole country seemed to be in this place of, 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 of questioning these, these things and wanting to, to find meaning and purpose and understand that, but it didn't take long for us to forget again, for us to distract ourselves with other things. And I think the reason why Ecclesiastes becomes difficult is it forces us to linger on these things. It forces us to stop and actually consider these things deeply. And so we'll, we'll have a choice as we go through this. We're not going to go straight through because um, I was afraid we would all be in a very state of deep depression after if we just went straight through for three, uh, three months. So we're going to break this up a little bit. But, but as we go through this, it, it will force us into this, into this opportunity to reflect on this. And there's really probably a couple of ways you can go with this. You can go the way that most people go, which is um, I'm just going to sit here and let it go one in one ear and out the other and let this wisdom pass me by and focus on the distractions of my life so that I don't really have to consider these things. Or we can listen. We can sit at the feet of, of the wisest man who ever lived at the end of his life and maybe learn a little bit, maybe consider a little bit something more than we've considered before. Um, and I think that, that exercise is worth our time and will, will push us all to wisdom that is beyond us, beyond our years, no matter how old you are, to have wisdom beyond your years. Um, the reason I believe that is the the... The writer of Ecclesiastes, the, the speaker in Ecclesiastes, um, is this guy we call Solomon. The speaker of Ecclesiastes, uh, or the preacher of Ecclesiastes, um, the teacher, the lecturer, is this guy right here. Uh, the words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. So what we know is the wisdom from Ecclesiastes is uh, the wisdom of Solomon, okay, the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. Um, he is not going to run away from these difficult questions that we're talking about. He's not going to try to minimize these important questions because he actually thinks these are important questions for us to consider. So he's going to face these questions very, very boldly. And going to look for answers to meaning and purpose and significance. But we've got to understand something about Ecclesiastes. It's really, really important. In fact, I, I'm going to spend most of today kind of setting up our, uh, our, our study of Ecclesiastes. Because I think we could, if we come to Ecclesiastes blindly, we might misunderstand what he's saying. We might, we might not fully get it. His... his purpose in Ecclesiastes, his, his desire is to try to find answers to meaning, purpose, significance um, under the sun. That's the phrase that he will use over and over and over and over again. You can't even see that. I know it's small print. You don't have to read it. I didn't intend for you to read it. But 29 times in 12 chapters, he uses the phrase under the sun. That's two and a half times per chapter. What he's trying to say is, all of the wisdom 
that he's going to share with us, well, the vast majority of it, okay, except for a couple of notable exceptions, is going to be trying to find those things under the sun. Trying to understand um, pain and loss and tragedy and joy and disappointment with only what we can gain from observable reality. From, with only from what, what we as humans can gain from observing our world. Which our society, our world would tell you is the best way to find truth. Is the best way to answer those questions. Although they don't really want to answer those questions. But if you need answers to those questions, how do I find meaning? How do I find significance? You only have yourself, your own ability, your, only what you can witness and observe from around you to answer those questions. And Solomon's going to, going to pursue that. He's going to pursue trying to find those answers by, by what we can see under the sun in this life. In fact, he will reveal, our, our teacher, our, our keynote speaker, will reveal that he spent his life pursuing those answers. His life, his whole life pursuing the answers of how to find those things in this life. And he's reached some extremely wise conclusions, many of them. I don't think we're going to like the conclusions that he's reached. I don't think we are. But there is wisdom in despair. There is wisdom in understanding how things don't work, how things can't work. Give you a little uh, illustration here. Imagine that uh, you get to a point in your life and you're like, I am going to take all of my life savings, everything I've ever worked for, everything I've ever earned, and I'm going to pour it into being a potato farmer. Now, some of you guys might have the desire. I don't. But imagine that you did, okay? Imagine that you were going to give up everything that you ever owned, all of your life savings, and you're going to buy a little farm in a uh, valley, a little potato farm in a valley. Now, in this uh, potato farm that you've poured all of your resources uh, into, uh, this potato farm is next to another farm in this valley, and you're actually the only two farms in this valley. You get into a conversation with the other guy. There he is. And he, uh, he's been a potato farmer for all of his life. In fact, he's almost at the end of his life. And he has spent all of his time in this valley growing potatoes, or trying to grow potatoes. And imagine in that conversation, yeah, you're this brown, brand new potato farmer, right? Never farmed potatoes before, never owned this land before, never been in this valley before. And you're talking to, to this guy, and he says, you know what? I have spent my life doing this. I've tried a bunch of different farming methods. And of those farming methods, there's definitely some that did not work at all. Is that a form of wisdom to hear that? Yeah. Thank you. Um, he said there's, there were some uh, farming methods that, that they, they seemed to work for a season, but they never worked again. Isn't that wisdom? Isn't that good to know? Like, you would want to know that. 
He, maybe some of his, his farming methods he got from other farmers, from other places, that, that, um, that always, like, like they were these tried and true methods that, that seemed to work other places, but they never worked in this valley. Would you want to hear that? Yeah, because you're farming in this valley. This is where you're farming, right? But what if he goes on and he says, you know what? I've spent my life trying to produce a crop in this valley. And I've never, ever, ever produced more than just a few potatoes. Just barely enough to eke by. Just barely enough to feed my family so that they can survive from day to day. Now, as depressing as a conversation that would be, because you just poured your life savings into this land, isn't there wisdom in that? There is. Now, that's a depressing conversation, and I, I wouldn't want to have that conversation. And honestly, in some ways, I go, man, I, I, I wish I could just, you know, ignorance is bliss. I wish I could just be ignorant about this and try it my own way. But once you have that wisdom, and as long as you listen to that wisdom... It should drive you to wise behavior. Even though all you're hearing from this guy is how hopeless it is, right? But you could have that same conversation. And you could say, I'm a different farmer. I'm not him. He's probably just not a good farmer. I'm a better farmer than he is. I, well, I've never farmed, but I probably would be a better farmer than him because obviously he hasn't produced anything. And I know land can produce potatoes. And so I'm going to ignore everything he said and just pursue all of the farming methods again. Could I do that? I could. Would that be foolish of me to do that? Yeah, really dumb. Really dumb. This is Ecclesiastes. It has wisdom for us, but it is primarily about what does not work, what will never work, and what is a waste of your time and your effort, and my time and my effort. And it's coming from a guy who spent his life pursuing how to get wisdom how to get significance, how to get purpose in his life. And just like the farmer, you could try all of Solomon's failed techniques and say, I'm going to do better because I'm Nate, I'm not Solomon. But I think we would agree that that's pretty foolish if we do that. Wouldn't it be better to listen and learn and avoid the, the failed practices of a man who spent his life doing this, a very, very smart guy who spent his life doing this, even if the conclusion he reached is that farming is pointless? Even if the conclusion Solomon reaches is that searching for meaning and significance and purpose under the sun is completely meaningless. I think we would want to hear that. I think we should hear that. Now, it's weird because this book stands kind of in, in contrast to really all the rest of Scripture, right? Which most of Scripture is, is explaining uh, to us 
the hope that we can have uh, in, in who our God is and the character of who our God is and, and what following him looks like and the, and the joy and the, and the hope we can have uh, both in this life and the next life. And so this stands in, in contrast that to the point that some people are like, I don't know that Ecclesiastes even fits. Why is it even here? I'd rather it's not even in the book. It's been called a diary of despair. I think that's an accurate description of what it is. It portrays life as a, as a cruel joke and death as the punchline to that joke. It's a, it's a detailed explanation of really the pointlessness of life. Yay, let's get into it, right? <laughs> ah. But it's making a very, very important point, and we'll see this point as we, as we go, that when you separate God, you separate the eternal things of God from any part of your life, then you separate meaning from that part of your life. You separate purpose from that part of your life. You separate hope for any sort of fulfillment from that part of your life. And all you're really left with is a pointless existence. I can tell you um, one of the great lessons that God taught me in my early 20s when I was doing funerals all the time. You know, most of you guys know I worked in a funeral home for years. And I did, I don't know, hundreds of funerals. And what it convinced me of is how good we are at lying to ourselves. We're just really good at it. Because we want to lie to ourselves. We want the lie. We don't want the truth. We want to be able to tell ourselves the things that make us feel comfortable and comforted, and, and, and that's all we want to hear. So many times I, I, I would meet with a family as we were you know, planning the funeral service, and just... You get to know people well in that circumstance, and clearly, like, the family doesn't like each other. Um, they definitely didn't like the guy who died, you know? They're like, he was a bum, right? Like, like, nothing good about the whole thing. And they go to the funeral service, and they're like, he was the greatest guy ever. He, he really, like, cared for people. No, he didn't. You told me just a week ago that he was a terrible guy, right? But, but we have to lie to ourselves, because the only alternative, the only alternative for the potato farmer is, is to, if you're the potato farmer, is to come to the truth that, it, that this is a meaningless effort, right? So instead, I got to lie to myself and say it's going to be different for me. Or it was different. Or those, that dozen potatoes that I pulled out of the ground, what a, what a victorious effort that I got those dozen potatoes out of the ground. Solomon's not going to let us lie to ourselves. He's going to make us come full on and, and look despair straight in the face for our good. And we should listen. And the reason why we should listen is Solomon was the wisest guy to ever walk the planet. Um. 1 Kings chapter 3, 
has this little story. It says, in, in Gibeon, Yahweh appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, ask me what you wish me to give you. Anything. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine God coming to you and say, anything? You pick it, you've got it. Like it's this, this fantasy of the genie uh, in the lamp, right? Where you rub the lamp and then three wishes, you can get anything you want, right? God's like, Solomon, anything. You name it, you've got it. Then Solomon said, you have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness, that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Yahweh, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not how to go out, don't know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? What a really good thing to ask. He's like, I'm super young, and this is a massive country, and I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. I need wisdom. I need to know how to, how to operate well in this life, how to navigate being king. It says, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor asked riches for yourself, all things he could have asked, right? Nor uh, have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you, like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. This is a singular person in all of human history. And God granted him this wisdom. And so this is said about him, just in a, another chapter after that. It says, Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind, like the sand that is on the seashore. Uncountable. His IQ was off the charts. EQ. His wisdom was off the charts. Can't even measure it. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the, the Ezraite, Heman, Calco, Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He was so smart that everybody started to know about this guy because he was just too wise. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs in his songs were 1,005. He spoke of the trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. He was so wise. He was so smart that people came from all over the world just to, just to hear him speak. And it's because he was smart. God made him that way. Now we have this little book, 12 chapters. We're coming to it to sit at his feet and hear what he has to say. 
And not only to listen to the wisdom of Solomon, but the wisdom of Solomon after a life filled with the pursuit of, of wisdom. He was full of it. He had unique wisdom and discernment like no one before him or after him. And we should be listening. Now, probably at this point, you're like, let's just get to it. Well, we'll get to it next week. But I want to give just a few uh, things that I think will help us understand Ecclesiastes better because of how it's written and, 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 and what wisdom truly is. This is what's actually on your handout if you want to fill it in. Six principles. The first one, Ecclesiastes does not contain hard, fast rules about how life always works, but contains a general wisdom of brokenness to be learned from. Hard, fast rules and general wisdom. This is actually true of all wisdom books. Um, if you're, you're studying Proverbs and it says, you know, Raise your child up in the way that they will go, and they will not depart from it. Is that generally true? Do your kids generally follow your parenting? <laughs> generally. Now, can we all point to the fact that they've diverted from some teaching that we've given them in their younger life? Yes, right? So it's general wisdom. They're not hard, fast rules. That's true here, too, Okay. Uh, a, a soft word turns away wrath, right? Someone's mad at you, you're gentle with them, you don't, you're, you're not angry back toward them, does it generally calm them down? Yes. Does it always calm them down? No. Okay, that's not the way wisdom works. Second, Ecclesiastes will push you out of your comfort zone. Don't let the discomfort keep you from learning from its wisdom. We're going to cover one more verse this morning, and I think it, will immediately, it should immediately make you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. Don't let that discomfort keep you from trying to understand what he's communicating to us. And there's going to be many extended sections on despair and death. And we tend to be people, especially 21st century Americans, where we're like, let's just focus on the happy things of life. We need, that's fine, but for a time, we need to focus on the not-so-happy things. Number three, Ecclesiastes contains a sober, realistic view of the world. It abandons the hopefulness we prefer to live with for a realistic view of the real world in which we do live. If you want a do dose of reality, here it is. If you want a dose of fan a fantasy, go to a funeral. Not every funeral, but many. Number four, take the wisdom of an extremely wise man who is sharing lessons from the end of his life. Though many of the lessons are painful to accept, they are worth the accepting and will make you wise beyond your years. Number five, Ecclesiastes primarily presents the wide road of futility and despair and yet hints of the narrow road that leads to life. Watch the map. Primarily presents the wide road of futility and despair, but hints at the road that leads to life. Last one. Allow Ecclesiastes to tear down the lies we tell ourselves for comfort so that we can embrace the truth about our existence under the sun. 
when we use human efforts for human ends. Allow Ecclesiastes to tear down the lies we tell ourselves for comfort so that we can embrace the truth about our existence under the sun when we use human efforts for human ends. Now, I know that was a long introduction and, and you know, didn't get to much of the text, but we are going to get to one verse that is just going to leave you skipping, hopping and skipping. This is Solomon's key point. I would say it's his thesis statement for the book. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanities means meaningless. The meaninglessness of meaninglessness. Everything is meaningless. Everything is purposeless. Everything is empty. It's all small potatoes. <laughs> this is a uh, Pew Research poll. Asked an open-ended question to the, to the partic- participants. What makes life meaningful? This is how they responded. Family. Meaningless. Children, grandchildren, fruitless. A spouse, a partner, futile. Career, unusable. Fantasy, or finances, money, meaningless. Faith, spirituality, unworkable. Friends, worthless. Activities, hobbies, leisure, creative pursuits, fruitless. Traveling, pursuing outdoor activities, fitness, health, dumb. Home, surroundings, your home, incompetent. I'm looking at all all these uh, synonyms for the word meaningless. Uh, Learning, education, Trying to be smarter than what you are. Ineffective. Uh, Struggles. People finding meaning in struggles. I think that's interesting. 9% of people said, I find meaning in struggle. By the way, Solomon will talk about finding meaning in struggle. And guess what his result, his, his conclusion will be? Meaningless. There's no meaning in struggle. Doing good, pointless. Community, church community, community involvement, worthless. Finding meaning in retirement, dumb. Finding meaning in security, hopeless. Finding meaning in your pets, definitely hopeless. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the time that we're going to spend um, in this book full of wisdom. Lord, we uh, tend to not 
want to focus on the negative. And I think sometimes that, that hurts us. I think that sometimes that's counterproductive for us. Um, Lord, may we choose as, as we go through these chapters, may we choose to, to listen to this wisdom, understand this wisdom, purify our lives of the meaningless things in life, as there are many, so that we can pursue where we truly can find meaning and purpose and hope and life and significance. Help us to be open to what you have to teach us in this series. Pray this all in your name.